What's up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Professional Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Gunter, and we've got a great one to finish out 2020. Now, look, this has been a tough year. I'm not going to beat around the bush, but I hope everyone was at least able to enjoy the holidays and those who could were able to spend time with family. Uh, If you did spend time with family, I hope you enjoyed it. (laughs) Uh, We all know how that can go. But we've got a great one on deck today. We are joined by Jared Hanley. So his background is truly fascinating. So he's a professional adventure racer which if you don't know anything about the sport of adventure racing, which admittedly I did not know a lot about it myself, blown away, blown away by what the sport is, what the athletes do, uh, the different disciplines that they have to master. I mean, it's an event. He's going to take you through it that can last, I think up to like 11 days. And oftentimes the intent is that no team is going to be able to finish. And when he describes it, I mean, it is grueling. So that alone is worth the price of admission. I was initially introduced to him by our last guest, Dr. Christopher Minson. Uh, So thank you, Dr. Minson, if you're listening, because he's also doing some really, really incredible work with his company that he's founded called NatureQuant. So I don't want to give away too much in the beginning, but he's doing some really interesting things around using big data and analytics to quantify the impact that nature has on our lives. And uh, I think what you'll hear is a lot of the revelations maybe not entirely unexpected, but pretty startling in terms of both the positive impact nature can have on you uh, in a variety of ways and the negative impact it can have uh, when you don't have access to nature. So really great conversation. Uh, It really was eye-opening in a lot of ways and quite frankly, just a lot of fun. So I really think folks are going to enjoy this one. Likewise, if you are enjoying it, to those who have left a review, Thank you. Really appreciate it. Like, I, like I've said many times before, having an absolute blast doing this podcast. So it's so great to hear when folks out there who are listening are enjoying it as well. If you would, you know, be so kind, leave us a rating. And if you would, let me know if you leave a rating. Shoot me a note. Shoot me a DM. Uh, Instagram's probably the best place at the underscore professional athlete. You know, if you took the time to leave a review, let me know. I would love to hear from you and uh, hear how we can keep making this show better for everyone. So also, you can head over to KenGunter.com. That's where I'm keeping all the show notes. I'm actually starting to transcribe the episodes. So be on the lookout for that in the event that you hate the sound of my voice. <laughs> it should also make the content a bit more searchable. So if there was a great guest and you want to revisit what they said, where they said it, I'm hoping that's going to make that easier to do as well. Also, goals. Sonia and I are going to start revisiting our goals here, Jan 1. I'm going to actually have a couple guests on to speak specifically to some of the topics that we discussed. I think you can go back to episode 42 if you want to hear what those were. But, hell, I'm in the giving mood. If you have a goal that you're working on or a particular area of interest, shoot me a note. I would love to hear that as well. And if I can bring an expert on, uh, I will gladly do so. Some of the best guests, quite frankly, have come from recommendations from our listeners. So please do keep them coming. And with that, man, folks, happy holidays, happy new years, wishing everyone a wonderful 2021. And on that note, let's start the show. Here we go. I gotta get up. I got too much to do. 
Jared, welcome to the show. Uh, excited to have you on today. Yeah, excited to be here. Thanks, Ken. So uh, there's there's a couple things I want to talk to you about, and we were just catching up about this beforehand. But uh, I am so fascinated by your adventure racing background. Uh, I, I, w- I would love, if you don't mind, may- maybe to start there today. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, I guess I can... I just briefly describe what the sport is because it's quite niche. And then yeah, I can tell yeah, you a little please. bit about what I've, I've done in it over the last um, 15 years or so. So adventure racing takes many forms, but essentially it's a, it's a form of a wilderness race that ranges from, you know, what they call a sprint race, which is actually decently long, usually around six to eight hours, all the way up to expedition length, um, you know, races that exceed 10 days nonstop. <laughs> and it's, um, it's, it's usually some form or mix of forms of wilderness travel. So mm. what'll happen is there'll be like a series of checkpoints throughout a, a, a course that you navigate throughout however you see fit. And, you know, you'll be trekking, trail running, mountain biking, kayaking, you know, there'll be ropes courses. There's been, you know, spelunking, um, you <laughs> name it, any kind of like wilderness, <laughs> um, movement in a race format. And then many times, as I mentioned, it gets quite long. And so it's, it's kind of like a, if you think about like a multi-sport backpacking trip in a race format, that's often what it, um, becomes. Yeah. Hmm. And it's something I've done for many, many years. Um, you know, back when I was slightly younger at a, at a pretty high level and, and really enjoy, um, you know, it's a, it's a mix of obviously really, really physically demanding activity, you know, when you're covering, um, I think the longest race I did was around 800 miles, but also oh, it's, it's geez. done in a team format. So it's, it's usually four team members co-ed, um, where you're all out there, you know, trying to overcome really, really difficult objectives, um, as a team. Yeah. Um, how did and, you, fir- how did you first get involved with the venture racing? Yeah. So I, I've always loved mountain biking and, you know, I grew up like backpacking and kayaking and, skiing and you know ski mountaineering and doing all of that stuff but then um i've got into mountain bike racing mm. and was somewhat successful at that and then stumbled upon adventure racing really the sport kind of blossomed in the late 90s it got some some notoriety it was on espn there's there's some bigger marquee events actually i think one of them just came back and was on um there's a, a series on amazon prime about it called eco challenge oh very anyways cool. i saw it and i was like wow that is the stuff i love to do you know yeah. long ultra fast you know cycling um backpacking trail running mountaineering white water that's that's what i love to do and and i i'm a competitive person i like pushing the limits and i was like well if i do this in a race format it'll be even more exciting. And so stumbled into it like in the, you know, in the nineties and kind of did a bunch of local shorter races and then eventually worked my way up onto a couple of sponsored professional teams and, and, um, competed at that level in the longer kind of expedition format races, which are amazing, which are really, uh, they're a race, but I will say most of them are designed so that most teams can't even finish. Um, and so, you're really oh. out there battling the course more than the competitors. Um, yeah. You know, some of the races, like I mentioned, when you're out there for 10 days covering, you know, well over 500 miles, 
and it's nonstop. So like managing your sleep, managing your food, managing your gear, injuries, all the rest. I mean, you can imagine a lot of, <laughs> a lot of tough things pop up and, yeah. um, you know, and teams fail. Is, um, is there, is there support? Uh, situated along the way, like at these checkpoints or is yes, it the sort of yes. thing? Okay. It, but like with regards to like, even just something, you know, as critical as food, are, are you responsible for packing everything you need? Or is that something that you can kind of like replenish along the way? Yeah. Usually there'll be what's called a transition area. So say okay. you're, you're on foot, right? You'll tr- get to a transition area where you, your mountain bike will be waiting for you as well as a gear bin with food mm. and, you know, the necessary equipment. So you have to pack what's appropriate, plan ahead, you know, how many calories you'll need per day for however long the race is, what kind of repair equipment you need, et cetera. And so sometimes there's actually a crew member that can wait for you at those transition areas, but often not where it's just a gear bin. Um, So that's how, I mean, you don't go 10 days without resupply. There's resupplies at every transition area typically. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, if not, then this is the most hardcore thing I've ever heard of. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you rarely go more than, say, 36 hours without a food resupply. So you're not carrying, you know, massive 50-pound backpacks. Yeah. Um, but you often are carrying quite a lot of gear. Um, you know, if you think about going a couple of days, you know, pack rafting or kayaking, you just have to have a lot of emergency supplies. And it, when you run out of food, it's <laughs> it's a real problem. So Right. Um, yeah, I could, <laughs> that, would, that would complicate things for sure. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned crew, like, like what sort of like support, uh, I was going to say staff, but that's not the right. Maybe it's just crew. Like what sort of like support do you have when you go on one of these, like, you know, expedition length, uh, courses? Yeah. So at the transition area, you'll have a, a, a crew member who is there to kind of help you, um, repack your bags, help like fix your feet. You know, as you might imagine, people's like feet just get destroyed, help you with, changing clothes, like fixing or assembling bikes, um, just kind of general logistical management and gear management. Um, and so, yeah, having a a, a quality crew is, is really important as you might imagine. So you don't sleep a lot in these, these races, you know, races that are say 36 hours or less, you won't sleep at all. And then in the expedition (laughs) races, whenever you're sleeping, you're not moving. So you, you generally, um, sleep as little as possible. I mean, we had a a 10 day race where I think we logged about 10 hours over the full 10 days. And so by by day, like eight, you're a zombie and you can't think clearly and having a crew member there who's like, you know, make sure you have this stuff packed. Um, you know, you're going to need your, your harness for the rope scores or whatever it is. It's very helpful because (laughs) you're just at a really diminished capacity by that point. Well, I was going to say, so I, I've, I've had enough sleep specialists on the show to know that I'm, I'm very concerned to hear about you guys, <laughs> zombie whitewater rafting and, and repelling yeah. down the, the side of cliffs. That's, that's incredible. So what, what, what happens, um, you know, in, in a circumstance where no one can finish? You just No team finishes. It's whoever makes it the farthest, the fastest. Oh, wow. And there's plenty of races where no one finishes. Um, Man. What, what is typically the most challenging uh part of doing a race like that like my 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 thought would be like just sheer exhaustion based on yeah well most teams actually fail because someone gets injured um Ah. or or sometimes you'll have a major gear failure like you know you pack a lot of like a spare derailleur for your bike or but if you crash and like you know 
severely bend a rim, right? You're, you're kind of, <laughs> you're, you're in trouble. You know, right. I mean, some of these races you'll have three, 400 miles of mountain biking and you can't really walk that. So, Oh, wow. Um, that happens. Um, people get lost, you know, so it's not, you're not allowed <laughs> GPS. So this is old school map and compass navigation. Oh, and, a little topography. And, yeah. And you can get really, really lost. Um, you know, teams will get heat stroke, run out of food, and then you just get so, I mean, you're in a calorie deficit to begin with because you burn right. about 10,000 calories a day and you can maybe stuff down five or 6,000. So, um, oh, wow. people just bonk. Um, you know, there's a plenty of reasons why people fail. And then you got to, there's team dynamics, which is really part of what I love about the sport is, um, you got four people out there who are incredibly tired and sleep deprived, trying to overcome a difficult task together. And sometimes yeah. the team dynamics just don't work. <laughs> so oh, okay. that that's another, you know, really fascinating part of the sport from, for many people. Well, I can't even yeah. imagine like uh, most folks can relate to having trouble with a, a coworker when everyone's <laughs> yeah. caffeinated and, and well slept. I can't even imagine like on day six, you haven't slept, you're pushed to the extremes. If you have some personalities that don't align, uh, I imagine that probably gets exaggerated in the moment. It's, it's beautiful, really. I mean, you get to know yourself really well, like at the core. And the same with other people, because it just strips away everything else, right? There's no more niceties or society or whatever. It's just you in the middle of the wilderness, cold, wet, hungry, lost. And like, how do you respond? And how do you, yeah. you know, help each other? So that's, it's really, it's really cool in that way. Yeah. I have to imagine, um, who was I talking to about this? It's, it's escaping me at the moment, but yeah, like just the process of putting yourself through something that arduous, like, yeah. you know, you, you, I imagine you, you might relate like it carries over to other parts of your life, right? Just knowing that you have this like, you know, innate ability to like persevere and overcome makes the other obstacles you might face in your personal life, professional life. Uh, that much hopefully easier uh, to tackle. Oh my God, for sure. A, th a thousand times for sure. Everything else in your life just becomes so like <laughs> almost mundane and easy. Nothing bothers you. So did, did, uh, did, did you and your, and your teams ever get in any uh, like really precarious situations? Yeah, we had a couple of um, races, you know, sometimes we struggled through, sometimes we didn't. We had one event where we were in um, Montana and there was a, a ropes course set up where you had to essentially ascend a series of ropes over a bunch of cliffs. Wow. And it's four people. And um, while we were on the ropes course, which takes many hours to climb, um, a, a big lightning storm came in. And so oh, wow. I was, I think I was in the top of the four of us and the lightning storm hit and I quickly ascended and kind of got off the cliff, which is you know kind of a dangerous place to be. Hmm. While my team had to repel, um, to get off the cliff. And so then we were separated by a pretty substantial distance, which is against, you know, race rules. And also I was in this storm uh -huh. on top of this cliff without any uh, protective gear. You know, there's mandatory right. equipment that you have to carry like tents and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I didn't have any of that. So I, I had to essentially dig a hole to protect myself from the wind and the rain and just, um, spend the night, you know, curled under, <laughs> under a bunch of branches. You're so that was bad. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So, we, so how, how many, how many, do you remember how many days approximately you were that, into this? That was day eight. Oh my God. So day yeah. eight, you're now yeah. with no shelter on the side of a cliff during a lightning storm in Montana. Yeah, that was bad. 
Um, oh. I had another race in South Dakota where I got Giardia, which is, um, it takes, so to get Giardia actually it takes three or four days often before you really show severe symptoms. So I somehow got it hmm. on like day two or three and around day seven, it hit me. And, what, um, what, what is Giardia? I, I actually am not familiar with that. Uh, people call it beaver fever. It's essentially like a gastrointestinal disorder where you, uh. you, you drink water or you just swallow water that's contaminated, you know, somewhere. So there's animal fever. Yeah. Crap or whatever in the water and you're treating water. Right. So I'm constantly drinking water out of streams or lakes or whatever. Right. And, uh, it just, it just destroys your gut. And so you can't keep down water or food, you know, and I was vomiting and doing many other <laughs> things. Oh, we, got really dehydrated and we were in the badlands of South Dakota, which is super hot and really, really arid. So we had no access to, to water to kind of rehydrate. Oh, wow. Um, so that was, that was actually dangerous. I was actually quite concerned for my health in that one, but, um, made it, made it out. We actually found some shelter that night and I was able to take some anti-diarrheal pills and other, um, medications that allowed me to keep fluids in and uh, ended up gotten it out and finishing that race but that was that was a scary day i mean what do your coworkers think when you show up back at the office on monday like did, <laughs> it, did they have any idea what you had just put yourself through when you would go on and do one of these i don't things? think they really get it but you lose you come back like a skeleton mm. you know i'm not a, a heavy guy by any means you know i'm like six feet maybe 175 pounds and you lose like 10 pounds or more oh, yeah. during the course of these 10-day races so you come back just, just demolished. And it's obvious that you've been through something very distressing. It's not healthy at all. I don't, don't even pretend like it's healthy. I don't think they really understand the extent of what you're going through. And it's really hard to explain. Um, but you know, they just know that you've been through some kind of ordeal and then it, it takes months to recover. So, um, you know, you know, you just catching up on sleep, regaining your muscle mass, all of that just takes a while. Well, and that's what I was going to ask you next too, is like yeah. how many of these, uh, I guess, would you, or maybe the, the question when you put it that way is like, how many, like, could you do o- over the course of the year, understanding like the extent that you would kind of just beat yeah. your body down? Uh, I used to do one, one big expedition a, a year. Okay. Uh, you can do multiple, like 24 hour races or shorter races. Right. Right. How, w- what's the process for preparing for something like that? Because I imagine yeah. like it's beyond just like the physical element, like some of those events that you listed, I mean, are true skills and, yeah. and skills yeah. with a lot on the line. Yeah. So I, from a skill base, the part of what I love about it is really any outdoor activity you do is, is part of your training. So you can go oh, rock okay. climbing, go, you know, kayaking, whitewater rafting, trail running, mountain biking, skiing. It all counts because all of those, you know, disciplines at some point or another are involved. So you really want to get as proficient and comfortable with those things as possible so that you do them automatically. You don't have to think mm. about it or concentrate. You know, things that are technical and require brain power, you don't want to have to, you know, spend that energy figuring out or focusing on. So you just want to get really proficient at all those things. Um, from a physical standpoint, you want to be able to move at a fast pace without, you know, um, really stressing your aerobic system. So keeping a low heart rate while being, um, you know, relatively fast yeah. so that, you know, you don't build up fatigue very quickly. So it's a lot of like long, slow miles, right. if you will. It's really not a sprint. <laughs> so uh, yeah. 
what, yeah. would you would you do anything in terms of like uh, you know nutrition leading up? Like I, I wouldn't even know where to begin to prepare. Yeah, for something that's you know. Uh, such sustained endurance is needed, obviously, but like to your point, just the amount of calories that you knew yeah. you were going to burn each day, and then you would not ever be able to like replenish to the same extent yeah. that you were putting it out. Um, how, well, how, do, how do you approach that? I ate a lot, as did yeah. most people. I mean, you, you don't want to go into this thing skinny. Um, right. it, it's interesting. You know, you, you, you end up on a point where you're at such a calorie deficit, your body is burning fat as its primary fuel source. Um, and so you want to, you know, increase your metabolic efficiency to the level where you can use fat as your sole fuel source and still be, you know, pretty active. Um, and so that's, you know, just long, slow miles kind of allow you to do that. And then occasionally I dabbled with training with a calorie deficiency to just see how I reacted to it. Yeah. Um, but I didn't do that to any great extent. Yeah. Um, and, and it's interesting, you know, I mentioned that the teams are co-ed. And, um, you know, you see actually in the latter parts of long races where women who just generally have a higher body fat, just outperform men often, ah. quite commonly. I don't know if that's because they're better at burning fat than men, but, um, that may be part of it. They're also outperform with little sleep. <laughs> so, uh, okay. Yeah. Well, I was going to yeah. say, well, my wife's going to hear this and she's going to see, just say, I told you so. Yeah, <laughs> I'm reminded constantly of how much better she operates on no sleep. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and just in general, how much tougher she is than me. Yeah, um, no, that's often the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, did, did they organize uh, these races in, in a certain way, like, or or did it really just depend upon the expedition? And I guess what I'm asking is like, um, you know, knowing that people are going to be exhausted on day nine and ten, was there usually like, was that the run or the biking? And did they try and put some of the more technical, you know, dangerous stuff earlier on in the, in the expedition or, or did it really no, not matter? Not, not really. I mean, what they will have what's called dark zones. So like, say you're entering like a, a whitewater section on a river, they won't let you do that at night. Yeah. And so if you get to that section and it happens to be nighttime, you have to wait until morning to continue. Hmm. Uh, but other than that, no, they don't really stage it. I mean, they will be you know, technical rope sections late in the race. Um, and then, you know, really your route choice is up to you. So if you want to go on technical terrain, cause you feel it's faster, um, you know, scramble along ridge lines, et cetera, you're welcome to do that. There's really no set course. Oh, interesting. So yeah. it, it, it's just about getting from one checkpoint to another. Yeah. However you kind of strategically see fit. Yeah. Yeah. So you can go over a mountain, you can go around a mountain. Some people will carry what are called pack rafts, which are little kind of whitewater dinghies that, you know, they're about five pounds and you can just carry them in your pack and they'll use those to travel across rivers or lakes rather than having to go around them. Oh. Um, it's however you want to do it. You know, you just have to carry whatever you're using. Some people sometimes will bring skis if they think that'll be faster. Um, so that's part of the race is a lot of strategy around route choice. Yeah. What was, I mean, I guess there, there's so many factors, but, uh, of, of the teams who were successful more often, you know, what was the advantage? Was it endurance? Was it strategy? Uh, or did it really just depend upon like the course and kind of like how that related yeah. to their strengths? Uh, navigation is really big. Um, and mm. then I think constant forward motion is really important. Hmm. So things like, you know, you're a team of four walking along, as you might imagine, like someone is 
grabbing a snack, you know, changing their socks, taking on a jacket, taking off a jacket, all those little tiny, like one minute delays add up. Yeah. And so figuring out, wow, can I change my coat while I'm still hiking, you know, which seems dumb, right? You should just stop and change your coat. Those little <laughs> things add up. And so like constant forward motion makes a difference over the course of 10 days. Um, the, just and then this, I, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, it's interesting. The real dominant teams are not from the U.S. They're, um, New Zealand has been super dominant. A lot of European teams are dominant. And I think mm. it's because it's they grow up with a culture of, of orienteering and navigation. They're just, you know, really good at it. Yeah. Like, like we have a high school baseball team. They have orienteering teams, you know, where they compete. And oh, cool. So I was not aware of that. Yeah. So they're, they're just, um, just spot on navigators, which makes a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. It's just ingrained. Yeah. I mean, this makes something like an ultra marathon just sound like child's play. <laughs> like, I guess <laughs> that, that, that in my mind was like, you know, the gold standard for like grueling physical endurance that you hear a lot about. And that a 10 day event where you're getting about roughly an hour of sleep a day, um, that's just incredible. Now, are, are, well, you, still, are you still doing so, these at all? Oh, go ahead. I've done ultra marathons too. I mean, the oh, difference here we go. is, you know, with an ultra marathon, you know the course and yeah. you don't really have to think about navigation. It's purely a physical task hmm. that allows you to push the speed limit, you know, right up to the edge. Yeah. With these expedition races, you're just not going quite as fast because you have to reserve, you know, energy. You don't really know what's around the corner. And so right. it's more of like a mental kind of grueling endeavor than just a flat out, like how, how far can I push my physical limits? So hmm. they're hard in different ways. Um, yeah. I mean, sure. In expedition adventure racing, you cover way more than ultra distances, but you're not going anywhere near as fast. Hmm. From in your perspective, and I didn't realize you'd done ultra marathons, yeah. so I better, I better tread lightly. Um, <laughs> what, what, what was more challenging? Oh, adventure racing by far. By far. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. You heard it. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> well, just cause I've been there where I, you know, I forgot right. a jacket or like I ran out of food, <laughs> you know, those kind of things. Oh. Those are tough mentally to, to get past. <laughs> so, yeah, I can't even imagine. Well, yeah. ma maybe this is a good segue um, because I was initially introduced to you uh, through your, your company that you founded, Nature Quant. But I think even just that background <laughs> with regard to your adventure racing, I think probably explains a lot as to why nature, uh, you know, is, it's such a passion for you. Um, if you don't mind, could you explain uh, for folks listening a little bit about what Nature Quant is? Yeah. Yeah, no, I'd love to. Yeah, it's, it is certainly revolves around my, my passion for nature in the wilderness. Um, I guess, you know, the other pertinent background on me is, you, you know, I've been kind of a data scientist for a long time hmm. as well. And so I have always found that when I spend time in the wilderness, you know, going for a hike or whatever, I just, I, I feel like completely rejuvenated and I get a really unique sense of mental clarity and energy mm. that I just don't get from coffee. And I always, I thought, you know, maybe that's just me. I'm one of those like, you know, nuts, nature nuts who just loves being outside. Right. But it, it turns out it's not just me. There is a very large and growing body of scientific literature around how nature has profound influences over our, our biology and our psychology. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, 
we're still collecting, you know, the research reports, but there's, there's literally hundreds of studies that have demonstrated really, really material effects on things like longevity, heart disease, you know, mental distress, cancer rates, et cetera, that yeah. all pertain to your proximity to nature or exposure to nature, or in some cases, not even an actual exposure to nature, but exposure to images of nature. Oh, wow. And so scientists are really still trying to figure out, you know, we observe these outcomes um, over and over again. So we know nature is helping you in these ways, but we, we're not quite sure how yet. Hmm. And so, you know, I, I saw this and it's a, it's a burgeoning field, but it's still a relatively young field. And I thought, you know, we can, we can harness the power of big data and um, we can harness the power of, you know, mobile technology now and yeah. do some really cool new studies and new research around exposure to nature broadly. And so we founded this company, NatureQuant, to help do a couple of things. First, quantify nature, which is, mm-hmm. which is hard to do, right? If I asked you how much nature is around your house, I mean, you could kind of give me a rough description, but you really can't quantify it in a meaningful way relative to a house three miles away from you. Yeah. So, so the first thing we did is we came up with a method to quantify nature, but not just nature, but beneficial nature. So nature that hmm. has repeatedly demonstrated to improve health outcomes. And, and the way we did that was through a bunch of um, kind of remote sensing technologies. So, you know, as, as you've seen, you can get a Google image of your, your block or an aerial image of your house. And then we can use computer vision to parse out the pixels and determine which ones are green, which ones are plants versus road versus pavement versus roof. Right. Um, there's also all kinds of classifications of, of, you know, areas. Is it dense, dense urban? Is it rural? Is it somewhere in between? Mm-hmm. And then we even go as far as collecting satellite data that actually measures infrared reflections of light. Uh-huh. And via the measurement of those infrared reflections, you can tell how much photosynthesis is occurring in any hmm. given area. Um, and so we aggregated like many other data sources. There's tree canopy indexes. Um, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of measurements that we use to approximate nature. And hmm. we took all those measurements on one hand. And on the other hand, we took observed health outcomes. So we know how people in this area tend to, tend to um, have prevalence of can- things like cancer, longevity, heart disease, et cetera. And we ran correlations between the two to determine, you know, where are there really significant connections? Where can we say there's a lot of nature here and people tend to live a really long time, you know, so let's find out what elements of nature seem to most tightly correlate with longevity, for example. Yeah. And so we did that throughout the nation and we're still doing that with new data sets and we've came up with really, really powerful results, um, which basically say, look, based on what we're calling a nature score, which is a score for the amount of nature around any location, like your house, for example, mm-hmm. what does that say about the, you know, the likelihood of your cancer rates, right? Oh, wow. And, and so, you know, we can now tell you, you can go to our website, naturequant.com. You can type in your address and it'll give you the score and the correlation that score tends to use to predict certain health outcomes. Hmm. And so that's what we did initially with the nature score. And we're constantly layering new things in there. We're now looking at air quality, right? Which has, you know, 
which we all know has a pretty profound impact on health as well. We're looking sure. at water quality, things like noise pollution and light pollution for being in a city. Um, yeah. the prevalence of traffic around your house we can detect remotely, um, proximity to waste fun sites or hmm. other dump sites. So a lot of the stuff we pull in and it doesn't actually show any, any profound influence on the health of the people in that area, but some of it is impactful. Yeah. And so, and so we're, we've created this nature score that's evolving, but even in its current state kind of helps you understand how your environment influences your health. Hmm. So I, I've been to Nature Quant a couple times now, uh, and, and my daughter is a big fan of it. I think I told you that in the email. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and I was I was very pleasantly, uh, maybe not surprised, but happy rather to see that we had a very high nature score. But yeah. as you talk through that, right, I, I could see how just as easily if I typed in my address, uh, you know, th there might have been something nearby that I wasn't aware of right? A dump site, uh, poor air quality or water quality that, you know, I just never taken into consideration. Yeah. Um, I, I can see, and I would love your take on this, you know, just even as someone, something is, um, you know, practical is like assessing, Hey, where do I want to live or real estate or, you know, what house do I want to buy? Like this could be really helpful information. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, beyond the information, just the concept is really the mission of the company that people can mm. use nature as a public health tool. It's okay. free. It's accessible. It's very important. You know, our modern man, you know, spends about 95% of his life inside, which is, if you think about the history of mankind is in an entirely new environment. We didn't yeah. evolve to spend our life inside in mm. urban areas. Um, we really evolved to be outside interacting with a large diversity of species and plant types. And so this, this whole concept of urban man is entirely new. And we frankly just don't understand how that impacts our health. We're kind of figuring it out slowly, but it's, it's still very early. I mean, what we do know is spending your whole life inside is tends to correlate with things like obesity and heart disease and even mental issues like anxiety, stress, et cetera. Oh um, yeah. People that are outside and, and, and this has been studied repeatedly and it looks like the medical consensus is around two hours a week. So if you spend two hours a week outside with some proximity to nature, a lot of those metrics improve by a material amount. And so <laughs> even if you're not fortunate enough to live in an area with a lot of nature, you can still go to a park you know, for an hour or two a week, and you're going to get the same benefits, um, which is part of what you know, that we want this company to help people understand and enact, right? You yeah. know, just use this as a, as a way to better your health, take, take control of go outside. Um, you know, we're going to, next thing we're doing is developing an app, okay. which we're calling a nature dose app, which just tracks where you've been and says, Hey, you know, you're supposed to get 120 minutes a week outside. You haven't been outside in three days, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is scary. strikingly common. You know, you don't, you I'm, wouldn't think exactly. about it, but it is common. Yeah. So it reminds you to go outside and it tracks the amount of time that you've spent, you know, you know, walking along a city block with trees or in a park to get an adequate nature dose. Um, and that'll be hopeful. You know, people have like this 10,000 step count on their phone. It'll be right. similar to that, but in terms of spending time outside interacting with the natural world. Well, I mean, I, I can relate to this, you know, and I'm a sample size of one, but 
like I said, you know, I, I live on basically what's an old dairy farm, right? So I, I, yeah. there's no shortage of nature around me. But yeah. even though I now work from home, like, you know, most of the world does, or at least those who can right now during this pandemic, um, I, I sometimes will like go an entire day and be like, I didn't step outside once. Yeah. You know, I helped the kids in the morning. I opened up a laptop, started working. And before I knew it, it was dark. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's sad that we even have to have a conversation that someone like me might need a reminder. Uh, and I know that's not the only, you know, benefit of this. But I, I also feel that like on those days, you know, I do notice that I feel maybe more lethargic or stressed yeah. or anxious. Yeah. Um, and you're right. I think it comes down to the fact, you know, if I just, again, take it to like a 35,000 foot view, like physiologically, I was not evolved to spend all my time in front of a screen. Um, but sadly, whether it be for work or the way that, you know, we interact with entertainment today, like that's kind of what a lot of us are doing. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's scary. Um, thinking about that, you know, like who, who is kind of at, at the most risk uh, with regards to kind of all these, um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? You know, negatives that can come with yeah. lack of exposure to nature. Yeah, well, it it's unfortunate, but, you know, it tends to be urban communities that mm. are less affluent, have uh, less nature. So they don't have as many trees along their city blocks. They don't have it lawns. There's often less parks. And so that's also part of what we're trying to use our data to help correct. I mean, we can go to city planners and provide them like a heat map, if you will, right. of a city and say, look, this neighborhood is nature deficient. You need to spend your park resources here so the people that live there have easier access to nature. Yeah. And it and it's we think it should be an easy sell because um, the amount of you know reduction in just health you know care costs is profound. I well, mean, there was a study wondering. done a couple of years ago. So they used a, a one single remote nature measurement, which we, we incorporate, but this was done via that satellite imagery that I told you that measures photosynthesis. Ah, okay. The infrared reflection. Yeah. And they tracked about 8 million people via 10 different studies. So this was a meta study that collected 10 different sub studies. So they're hmm. looking at 8 million people. Um, and I think it was in about a dozen different countries. And it turns out for every 10% increase in nature within a half mile of your home, your chance of early um, death goes down by about four or 5%. Oh, wow. So it's huge. Like it's, it's a really profound influence. Now we don't know if that's because cities are really dangerous, right? Just living in a city carries a lot of risks, health and mm -hmm. otherwise, or nature is really helpful, but we keep seeing the same correlation over and over again. The more nature around you, the, the reduction in chances of early death. And so that alone, I think, is enough to, that should motivate city planners, individuals, I think society at large, to start thinking about nature not as a luxury, but kind of a necessary health tool. Yeah, and I think that's an important reframing, right? Because, well, maybe I'm taking it for granted given my own situation where we live, but, you know, nature is around you, hopefully. But I, I guess the whole point of this is for some folks, it's not. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's like, it, it should be just kind of like a natural inclination to like go outside, be outside. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think some people are like, oh, well, I just enjoy doing things inside. And it's raising awareness around the fact that no, like there's substantial health benefits and risks 
to either you getting the appropriate amount of exposure or not getting the appropriate amount of exposure. Um, and, you know, I personally don't feel like that's something that I hear talked about a whole heck of a lot. Um, what, one no, thing that, it's not. It's really not. And it, yeah. it, it shocks me. I mean, think of, first of all, there's no profit in telling someone to go walk into a park. Right? So there's that. Yeah, there you and go. And so like our medical system is built around what, what do we sell? Um, mm-hmm. And it's around what do we treat? It's not around prevention. This is free. It doesn't require, you know, prescription. Um, and it's preventative. It's not really used to, you know, kind of treat, treat some existing ailment. Right. It's largely used as a preventative measure kind of like exercise, right. Or diet, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, I think of it like that. And in a way, you know, a lot of people think that that's kind of what's happening. You know, when you exercise, you just stress your body and then it comes back stronger. Yeah. When you expose yourself to a natural world, you're inundated with all of these foreign, you know, microbiomes and fighting sides and things that your immune system has to respond to. Mm. You expose yourself to the sun, right? You expose yourself to hot and cold temperatures, just the diversity of things that your body has to respond to and get stronger, kind of like exercise. And so in a way it's, uh, I, I see the two as very similar. Yeah. And so it's interesting because, um, you know, when I started this podcast, one of the things that I wanted to make sure I did was, uh, you know, introduce different ideas or approaches. Uh, they're going to help people either reach their own goals or live a healthier life. And so, you know, one of the, the early themes that was really important to me was sleep. Mm-hmm. I was just so dumbfounded by the fact that sleep plays such a critical role in our life, yet no one talks about it. And kind of to your point, uh, it should be free. Right. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's probably one of the best treatments for whatever's ailing you. And it's one of these things that we know so little about. Hearing the way you describe access to nature and some of the physiological benefits, I, I'm kind of having like that deja vu. Yeah, You know, it, yeah. it's like it's a great preventative treatment. Uh, if you have issues, you know, and I'm not saying it's a cure all, but what I am saying is like, look, there's physiological responses to the sun, to going outside, to your point, uh, getting out of like this thermostatic rut where we're never like challenging our body with different temperatures. Right. Um, it, it, it almost, uh, maybe you feel this way, almost frustrating, uh, yeah, (laughs) maybe have to educate people, uh, to take advantage of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It is strange. I think, you know, modern man is just accustomed to like sitting inside in front of a screen. Right. Right. And it's, and we've accepted that as normal, but it's really not normal. It's an entirely new environment for us that we're not sure how that, you know, impacts our health. I think there's a lot of evidence saying it's not good, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, it's so new. It's, we really not sure. Um, and that's part of what, you know, we do a lot, we intend to do a lot of research. We've done some research with our, you know, our data and, and that's what we will do going forward. You know, this, yeah. this app that I mentioned, the nature dose, for example, you know, once we have a few years of people using this, we'll be able to say, okay, you know, the people that on average met that two hour minimum had these types of health outcomes hmm. and the people that didn't had these types. And so we'll be able to kind of ferret out more and more insight around, um, you know, what specific types of exposure are important. Yeah. Well, and something else um, that's interesting as well is, uh, are you familiar with Nick Littlehales? He's a sleep specialist. Uh, He was part of, you know, the whole marginal gains of British cycling and he was like their sleep guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
it's funny. I can't remember if he said it on air. I'll have to go back and listen to it or if he said it afterwards. But uh, one of the things that he's starting to do with the private groups that he works with is, is he'll take them outside. He'll take them camping. Like for people yep. that are that are struggling with sleep or insomnia or, you know, some sort of disorder or they just, you know, whatever, need to decompress. I mean, the, the first thing that he's now kind of starting with is like just natural light exposure. Yep. Just getting them outside. Um, and so, you know, I, I can just see how the nature exposure is so critical. Um, but it, I, I can just see how it would bleed in and positively impact uh, a lot of these other processes that are just so critical to our function. Yeah. Well, we've observed that. I mean, you can take someone, bring them into a park, and within 10 minutes, what you'll see is their blood pressure goes down, their heart rate goes down. Hmm. Cortisol, which is kind of a stress hormone, reduces. These are instantaneous reactions that we can observe, and they happen consistently. And so we know that you basically decompress, you know, your yeah. body relaxes a little bit when you're in nature. I mean, one of the leading theories is that, um, there's this term called biophilia, which basically means the love of biology or the natural world. Oh, okay. So we kind of evolved to have a love for the natural world. Cause when you're around nature, you feel like you're in a resource rich environment where you can sustain yourself. Yeah. When you're not around nature, when you're in a city and it's loud, there's, there's nothing green, there's no flowing water. <laughs> Mm -hmm. subconsciously your body's alarmed because you're in an environment that doesn't look like it can sustain life. And so we just run this like subconscious stress constantly when we're in an urban environment or indoors that we're not aware of that goes mm -hmm. away as soon as you kind of reset yourself in nature. And so your anxiety levels go down. You're, you're, you're kind of like chronic low grade stress just gets reduced a little bit. Do we, do we know why that is? Like, do, do we understand yet, like, what, what's kind of happening in the body uh, th that's creating these positive responses when we get We have a bunch of theories. Um, okay. So, and I can give you some of them, but I don't yeah, think we don't know mind. exactly. <laughs> yeah. So one is this theory of called the old friends theory, which hmm. is this concept that we evolved being exposed to all of the fighting sides and little, you know, organic compounds and microbes, if you will, that, you know, plants in a diverse environment kind of convey to you. Hmm. Um, when you live in a sterile environment, you don't have any of those things. And so you don't have to respond to those things or incorporate those things in your, in your biology in any way. Hmm. Um, and so that may cause some kind of deficiency, um, you know, autoimmune response or something that causes inflammation or some kind of, you know, poor health outcome. That's one theory. Hmm. Um, you know, another theory is, is that, um, and, and this is interesting because they've observed this is what I kind of just mentioned is that mentally you're, you're able to relax when you're in a nature rich environment. And so yeah. they've noted that even just letting someone see an image of nature, um, can reduce stress. And they've done this in, um, you know, those dynamic, um, MRI studies where they'll show people images of urban landscapes and images of nature and a certain part of their brain is activated when the nature is there and it's not when the nature is not there. Hmm. It tends to correlate with the reported anxiety levels. And so they think potentially, you know, just this idea of being in, an, in a resource rich environment allows us to relax to some extent. Um, and then another theory is that it's not nature. It's actually our cities are just incredibly unhealthy. Air quality uh. is worse, right? Um, there's always noise and light pollution that's constantly like triggering alarm um, in the background. 
Right. If you're inside, you know, you're circulating this stale air all the time. You're transmitting diseases with all the people around you. Mm. Um, you know, it could be not so much that nature is this like <laughs> really beneficial thing. It's just that our cities that we've built and spent all our time in are actually quite unhealthy. Hmm. So, um, and then you'll see other things like, um, you know, trees obviously emit oxygen and absorb carbon dioxide and other pollutants. And so you tend to have better air quality when you're around nature. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's all these other little ancillary things. Um, you know, trees prevent urban heat islands, right? And so that, you know, is actually a pretty substantial risk for a certain population. And so we don't know. I mean, I, I wish I could give you a definitive answer. We, we've observed the impacts over and over, but we don't know the mechanism of action. Got it. Well, and you know, I, yeah. I lived in New York City, I don't know, five or six years. Um, and we moved out when my daughter was one and a half. And I remember one of the things that was really alarming is the data at the time uh, there was a lot of, um, disturbing evidence that the air quality in New York city was so bad, uh, that it could have, you know, negative outcomes for young children. Yeah. And so I remember the, the first time I read that and we were, we were not moving, we were in no position to move at that time. <laughs> and sure. I was, well, we got to figure this out. And I went and bought like, you know, the nicest or what I thought was like a clinical grade air purifier, that circulated twice the the volume of our apartment <laughs> to try yeah. and make it as clean as possible. But I was like, man, the fact that I even have to go through this exercise is kind of telling that, you know, the, the way that we're stacking ourselves on top of each other here uh, might not be the, the optimal way to do things. Yeah. Well, and I don't know if you've seen the, the latest research. So Harvard just published a report about air quality and um, the incidence of severe COVID reactions. Oh, so, no, but I, I actually wanted to ask you that because I did read yeah. your one sheeter, which is really interesting. And I'm, I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes if you would like, as, as well as your website. Um, but yeah, I did see that you you guys uh, uncovered some uh, interesting preliminary uh, findings with regards to COVID uh, in your own right as well. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the concept, or at least a hypothesis here, was that when you live in an area with poor air quality, your lungs are always kind of mildly inflamed or partially damaged because it's, hmm. it's constantly battling these pollutants. Yeah. And then when you introduce something like COVID to a lung that's already, you know, in a weakened state, you, you tend to observe more severe reactions. And so right. that played out in the data, um, at least initially. We haven't updated that study for, and we probably should, it's been like three or four months, but the areas that had the worst air quality also had the highest incidence of severe COVID cases. Hmm. Per, per case. So, I mean, the number of people that ended up going in the ICU as a percentage of the people that were known to have contracted it were substantially higher in areas with poor air quality. Wow. So, I mean, how does nature play into that? Well, I mean, nature is a natural air filter. I mean, trees clear the air, clean the air and provide oxygen. And that's what they do. And so the more nature in an area tends to correlate quite closely with a better air quality. Hmm. And so, you know, one thing a city can do, and many cities actually around the world have done this, not so much in the U.S., unfortunately, is, you know, they've undertaken efforts to plant trees around industrial zones as kind of a necklace, if you will, or a ring to help right. protect that, you know, poor air from disseminating. Huh. But well, beyond I, that, I mean, you can plant a tree in your backyard, you know, you know, go to your neighborhood association and say, look, let's plant trees along the city, city blocks. I mean, you know, any, any bit helps. Yeah. No. And I, I, that's, that's a great point too. Um, 
you know, for, for folks who are listening and or I imagine motivated, uh, like right now, as soon as I'm done recording this, I'm going to go take my kids outside and go for a walk <laughs> or something. Because I'm like, yeah. now, now nice. I'm a little stressed about the way I've been living this week. Um, you know, do, do you have any kind of like baseline recommendations or in, in the data that you've dug into uh, to this point? Um, maybe maybe some some healthy guidelines that, that people could at least try to to shoot for. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I think you know the first thing is think about that you know two hours a week of okay. what of being roughly outside or exposed to nature in some way. Hmm. Um, and that the evidence shows that it, it could be in one chunk, right? You could go for a two hour hike once a week on Saturday, or oh, you could wow. go out for you know. 30 minutes a day for a couple of days. But I think trying to hit that two hours a week minimum is, is a good goal for people to think about. And, you know, for a lot of people, that doesn't sound that daunting either, right? Like two, two hours, especially to your point, you break it up over a couple of days. I feel like that's a lunch break. It's a 15 minute walk to break up work. Yeah. It, it, It doesn't sound as much as I maybe thought, uh, you might need to get the benefits, which hopefully is encouraging to folks, yeah. especially those who work inside all day. Yeah. And for some people, I mean, you can think of it as like your meditative time or mm-hmm. if you're, you can go for a run, right? So it's your exercise time, but rather than running on a treadmill, um, do it outside. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you can, you can easily stack this into your current lifestyle. Um, right. I, so that, I mean, that's my main, main thing. And I think, you know, you probably have an audience that's probably pretty proactive about their health already. So that, you know, they're already fit and they may be outside, but, um, you know, I think for most people just think about how much time you spend inside. And if it's really, um, you know, 90, 95% of your life is indoors, try and, you know, slowly incorporate more time where you're exposed to different environments, um, particularly environments that are nature rich. Yeah. Well, but you know, what's interesting too, like I, I was not, not to relate everything to, to myself, but, um, you know, I, I consider myself a, a very active person, you know, I, I work out or I do something active every day, but you know, now as I kind of reassess, like I, I ran this morning, I was on the treadmill, but I was on the treadmill in my basement watching the TV. And so now I'm kind of rethinking like, you know, that was a really easy opportunity to like go yeah. out. I mean, it's cold here, but yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's one little way I think that, uh, moving forward, I'm probably going to tweak uh, the decisions that I make in terms of like where I'm spending my time, uh, you know, when I have the opportunity to change it. Yeah, I think that's it. That's a, an easy way to do it. Or, or, and then it's just something to think about. I mean, I think again, most people don't think about nature as something that influences their, their mental and physical health. But I mean, yeah. the evidence is really indisputable at this point. So just be aware of that and, and you utilize that to improve your health Yeah. or mental well-being. I think, you know, particularly now we're getting a lot of people saying, you know, this is an incredibly stressful year, which obviously it is. And mm-hmm. anxiety levels are through the roof and, you know, spending time outside in nature is just kind of like a clout palate cleanser in a way, you know, it kind of, put your position in the universe and in light, you know, like I'm just this small little thing in this very beautiful, complicated world. And it just helps you kind of reset, um, you know, your mental state in a way, if you will. I don't want to say meditative. I mean, obviously for me, I I love nature. I love being in nature. It gives me like an incredible kind of clear head, Hmm. but I I think I'm not unique in that way. I think for a lot of people, they can use it um, just as a um, kind of a de-stressor. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things too. It's like the data helps. 
the research certainly helps, but going outside and spending any amount of time, you know, I feel like you just, you intuitively feel it. You feel the difference. You feel a bit lighter, a little less stressed. Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, I, you know, again, like I, I'm like, why, why am I spending so much time inside is what I keep thinking <laughs> as we have yeah. this conversation. <laughs> Um, well, we all are. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, and so, so let me ask you this, um, for people who want to find out more about what you're doing, wh- where is the best place to point them today? Yeah. For now I would go to naturequant.com and you can get actually a nature score for your address or mm-hmm. any address if you want. That's just available on the site. Our, our app is not up yet. It's, um, actually probably in Q1. We'll have that out and, oh, um, great. It'll be free. And then also, if you want to participate in some of our research, we're, we're talking to some universities about, you know, conducting research with that data, which you're welcome. But we would love more and more people to, you know, participate in that oh, or just cool. use the app, you know, on their own if they if they kind of want a reminder and a helpful tracker of, um, you know, the amount of time they're spending outside and in nature. Uh, but for now, you know, go to naturequant.com. There's a white paper there that'll detail a lot of the science around nature exposure. Mm-hmm. If you really want to kind of geek out on it, um, you know, and then just you can get your nature score and there's just a little more background. Yeah. And then contact as well. I mean, we love hearing from people, um, you know, with stories or concepts or ideas or even unique research. I mean, we've, as I mentioned, we've done research on urban heat islands, on things like COVID. Um, you mm. know, there's many ways that we can apply our data to u- unique and novel research that we're always excited to look into. Yeah. Well, and, and I can attest, um, the, the site is, is really cool. Uh, very interactive. Uh, I was fortunate that we live in an area that is like very dense with nature. Um, but one of the things I alluded to in this earlier is, uh, it was a really awesome opportunity to talk to my kids about it. Um, they love seeing the site. I'm not going to say that all of the content was geared towards a kindergartner, but, uh, you know, it was just a really good opportunity to have a discussion about something that's important and they get excited about it and it's, it's highly visual. So, uh, if you're listening, definitely check it out. And, uh, if you would let us know when the app comes out, I w- I'd be happy to, uh, make all our listeners aware, uh, when that's available. Yeah. Yeah. I will for sure. Yeah. We're Perfect. really excited about that. That's ultimately where we want to be because well, that's how I we guess- feel like we can impact the most people. Um, you know, if you'd imagine, you know, a lot of people are tracking their steps or whatever, we feel yeah. they should be tracking nature exposure or time outside as well. And having a reminders is definitely going to kind of boost that. I agree. Oh man. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. Well, hey, this, this has been uh, a fascinating conversation. So I, I really appreciate appreciate you taking the time to join. Yeah, no, it has been fun. Thanks again for having me. You better go ask mommy, daddy. (laughs) Let's start with this, actually. Do you think other podcasters who do joint podcasts have the same issues that we do? (gasps) Fighting about whose feet are on whose side? Or on which side? Um, No, because probably other ones aren't married. (laughs) That's, yeah. yeah. Uh, Actually, let's talk about your feet right now. Most podcasting duos don't live together under the same (laughs) roof. And see each other's faces 24-7. 24-7. And they're like, oh, great. Interaction <laughs> with uh, new people. Or, you know. Yeah. They're not like. They appreciate I their podcast partners. <laughs> I woke up with you. I made you breakfast. I made you lunch. I made you dinner. Mm-hmm. And now I have to do a podcast with you. Um, <laughs> let's talk about your tootsies, though. They are covered <laughs> in the world's 
Oh my god. Fluffiest white slippers. Yeah, I requested that Santa bring me slippers that were very fluffy and white. And I think I said chic. But um you did Santa did good. Yeah, he did just that. Yeah. Yeah, my feet have never been more cozy. Yeah, you're welcome. So check yourself the next time if you're gonna throw some shade my way. Uh <laughs> let's start here. Okay. Would you allow me to do nature racing? Sorry, adventure racing. No. Uh, as a man, like- as a man, would I let you tell me no? How about this? Yes. What if, <laughs> what if Jared said, "Hey, look, we've got a big adventure race coming up. Uh, you, we need a pack. Say, we need a pack mule." Say, Kenny, you look sturdy. Remember your allergies. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget your Zyrtec, your Flonase. No, you, baby, you're not cut out for adventure. I actually think I would, but really well. I think one of the more important things he said was, "I would be more cut out for adventure racing because <laughs> women." <laughs> okay, this is what I heard. Women do better. Yeah, with um, what's it called? What did he say? I think he said it, it, they tend to outperform men. better. In yeah, like women the final outperform days. men in the final days because one, maybe they have more fat stores so they're able to like have more energy for longer and number two they do better with less sleep which I know for a fact mm-hmm. is a big difference between women and men at least between you and I yeah and I loved hearing him say that oh I know you loved hearing it <laughs> yeah and as I heard it and I think I said as much in the show I was like oh boy you just gave her a license <laughs> yeah. to throw this in my face yeah, you did uh, but no, I think it's true. Sounds like it proves to be true out yeah. on these courses, which how crazy is this? Just the concept of adventure racing, like what, what these people do over the course of 10 days. And I know they can so be cool. shorter. Yeah. That's awesome. It's so cool. I mean, like literally. Are every- they like running the whole time when they're like on safe ground to run on? Um, I don't know. 800 miles? I can't imagine you could keep that up. I think it's more of like you probably plod along at a a quick pace. Do you know what it made me think of? And this is really lame. But you know in Lord of the Rings when when they're... I think it's in the second one. I know exactly what you're talking about. When the Fellowship of the Ring is chasing the pack of orcs that have the two... Um, Mary and like the two, uh, what's called hobbits, Mary, and I forget the other guy's name. Yeah. Wow. I'm actually disappointed that you don't. I know. I know. I know. It's okay. (laughs) And they're running the whole time. Pip? Pip. Mary and Pip. Yes. Good job. Yeah. Thank you. It's rubbing off. But they're running the whole time. And, and then like at the end of the day, the one arc was like, oh, we're not going to go any further unless we get some rest. And then they stop. But they've been running for days. Also interesting. Uh, I believe <laughs> a, lot a, of that, an adventure a lot of that was shot in New Zealand. Yeah. Which he said, New Zealand, just uh, they're better at uh, orienteering. Oh, yeah. yeah Is yeah, that yeah. even a correct description? I don't know. Better orient. Anyways. I think I know what you're talking about, but... Uh, yeah, I, I, I hate to admit that I actually had the same thought. Wait, when he was saying that, you did too? No, not, uh, maybe not while he was saying it. Okay. But I did have that vision run through my head a time or two. Yeah. <laughs> Which is just, maybe we should just drop this podcast, start a fantasy show. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I agree. You've completely thrown me off my train of thought. I don't even know Sorry. where I was going. But <laughs> we're talking about, oh. How women are superior yeah, yeah. to men. Again. But also that we were saying before that we should get the aura rings. To yeah, you do track want that. our sleep. Mm-hmm. 
because I know that I sleep so much worse than you do because I'm always up and I'm always like checking things and whatever and feeding the baby and taking the dog out and you're just sleeping through most of this. But let me ask you, so what, what do you, okay. So, so when you, you say you're tired, to, what do you hope to do with that information? I just want to be like, so that you, you can think show you're tired. <laughs> okay. How about this? Has it ever dawned on you perhaps that if you are sleeping poorly, maybe you should make some changes to sleep better. Kill the dog. Uh, okay. We don't need, I don't even want to open that can of worms. Um, like, like, Oh, like not looking at my phone. Like before bed. maybe not looking at your phone before bed. Maybe not constantly looking at your phone throughout the night. If well, you, I have to check the kids on the cameras. It's well, like an OCD actually, thing. You actually, yeah, you actually don't have to do that. Mm. We can hear Take them. Anyways, if you want the aura ring, I'm down. I'm just saying, what are you going to do with that information? Hold it over you and, <laughs> and, uh, and um, assert my superiority. Some, I guarantee you there's a lot of people who are married listening to this and they're being like, yep. All the women are like, yeah. Totally get it. For sure. I see what's going on here. <laughs> Ken, I feel for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Your wife wants to use uh, incredible advancements in modern technology solely to hold it over your head. <laughs> I also want to see how I sleep. Oh, and that too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we can do that. I think that would be good. But I do think when we talk to a lot of these sleep experts, their feedback is often like, hey, you know, this stuff's interesting, but it's like, what are you going to do with it? I do think that's yeah. important to take into consideration. Yeah. If you're using it to like make change, then I think that's great. I also think that I would be a little worried that by like getting that data every day it might psych me out. Like I would wake up and feel like, okay. And then I would look at it and say like, oh, I really slept terribly. And then I would let that like bleed into my day. Like, oh, I'm not going to work out as hard or I'm not going to do X, Y, Z. That's what I would be worried about. Yeah. I could see that happening to you for yeah. sure. <laughs> Boy, this is a tense start to a show that I thought was going to be really easy <laughs> to All right, talk let's, through. Let's go on to the next. Let's away. go on to the next one. On to the next one. Okay. So, um, the big one that I had, and I know you have written down all the health benefits, um, the, the, the two hour number mm -hmm. I thought was really important. One, that should be super attainable for folks. Yeah. I thought it would have been more too. I know you said that, but I thought it would have been more. Yeah. And what I'm referring to is like the two hours needed to start to see some of these potential health benefits. Maybe not potential is not even right. the right and word. Some, but some of the things you said were longevity, mm -hmm. decrease in heart disease, mental distress, and cancer rates, all from like people who are exposed to more nature. Yeah. Exposed and to more nature, live two hours more nature. Is where you start to see a get big outside bump more. In. Yeah. Makes me feel really good about our decision to leave New York city. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I forgot about the whole like air quality thing that you were freaking out about. I know. And we got, we had like a 900 square foot apartment mm -hmm. and we had this massive, um, air purifier yeah. that was so hideous. There's no place to hide it. Clinical grade. Baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it worked. Yeah. I felt like it made a difference. Yeah. I I'm it's sure it did. it's one of those things like you don't notice, you know? You kind of just have to like trust that it's working. Yeah. But I do feel like I remember at the time being like I think she's sleeping better talking about our daughter. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was maybe sleeping better. I mean, you have to be. You're just like removing all the shit that's in the air. Yeah. Right? And like right. we lived in New York City, like you see all the exhaust coming out of the exhaust pipes. Yeah. Um, it's like, you know, it's not hard to imagine that stuff's there. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for his Nature Dose app. I'll yeah, definitely cool. get that. But just because like 
especially in the winter when I really don't want to go outside. I think about this too. Like when I finished this episode, I literally went downstairs, grabbed the kids. I was like, put on your clothes. We're going outside. You're like, you can stay in here. (laughs) No, I asked you to come to, I don't know what you were doing. You were something. (laughs) You were probably plotting. (laughs) You're probably plotting. I don't know what you're plotting. I was watching Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Yeah, you were watching Lord of the Rings and hating me for my sound sleep I get. Because I take the advice of all our sleep experts. <laughs> no, I don't hate you for your sound sleep. I, I don't. I'm just oh, frustrated. Okay. So, so what do you hate me for? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just frustrated. <laughs> that I, you don't get like a night of sleep where maybe you like are up for an hour during the night. And I'm like, I'm up for hours during the night. I agree. But <laughs> Every babe, night of my life. <laughs> I agree. However... I think there are some things that you could take from past guests yeah. and incorporate to probably sleep a little bit better. Yeah, I think you're right. Okay. So we can agree there. And I don't, I want you to sleep well too. That's why it frustrates me to no end uh-huh. because I try to help. How far does that get us? Typically I try to help <laughs> not very far, um, but maybe a random stranger can come and, and uh, make these recommendations. Oh, we can only hope. <laughs> and you'll heed their, their advice. Um, so that was the big one. Two hours. I think that's one hopefully that, uh, most people can at least like shoot for. Mm-hmm. And, it, but you know, the, the problem is like he was saying though, is that like a big issue is that people don't necessarily have access to all this. Yeah. Right. And it comes down to things like city planning, uh, zoning, you know, to make sure that that, that is being taken into consideration because it is a lot of these like lower income areas where like they don't have access to that. Yeah. You know, like if you live in like Manhattan in the Upper West Side, like it's a five minute walk to an incredible park. There's yeah. a lot of areas like just thinking about New York more broadly and all the boroughs, like you don't get that. Right. It's not as easy. Right. Um, so some something to that think thing about. he said about um doing like a ring of trees around plants that um mess with the air quality hmm. was really cool. Right. Yeah, it'd be, it'll be interesting to hear how this is incorporated. And I know it is like, uh, I'm going to mess it up, but like a LEED certification. Mm. Are you familiar with that? Like no. the, the, you see him. It's like when a, a building, I think I'm going to do a terrible job explaining this. Like a building is constructed. Um, you know, it focuses on trying to use where it can like renewable energy or it like, oh, right, right. Has I like a zero that, yeah. carbon footprint or it's like whatever processes make that building function. They were like done with like environment and then an environmentally conscious way, I guess. Yeah. Um, But anyway, so I have to imagine this kind of like is playing in the same realm. Yeah. But uh, no, I I thought it was awesome. And it just, it makes me want to start when I can take an opportunity to go outside more. Because one of the things that I thought was really just like, again, going back to a very early theme when we started this podcast, like consistency over time, like, you know, doing this like once over a couple of weeks is probably not going to make a dramatic shift in your overall like quality of life. But if you like start consistently making changes where you're getting outside, um, it probably is like he said, like preventative, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, it's not intended to like cure disease, but it might prevent a lot of these diseases that you listed off a few minutes ago, uh, that are serious issues. So yeah, I'm going to try and make a, a better, yeah, uh, same, you know, push to get outside more. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Um, what was our nature score again? Really high. It was like 97.5. Out of 100, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. It's cool. So if you're listening, check it out. Uh, Naturequant.com. I'll link to it in the show notes. It's awesome. A lot of really cool information. And I mean, yeah, you get to see what your score is for where you live. Mm-hmm. Because I knew that ours would be high based on, I mean, we live basically out in the country. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, we have neighbors, but they're acres away. So I didn't expect that ours was going to be low. But uh, you can see all like the different inputs, all the things it took into consideration. Um, and like I said, if I was looking to buy a house now, and I was aware of this, I 100% yeah. before I you know made the final decision or started considering areas, I would punch it in. Mm-hmm. Get an understanding of like what's around it. Like, yeah. Because you know like that input is going to start becoming a factor. If it's not already. Yeah. Um, Another thing he talked about was subconscious stress. The people who live Mm. in urban environments experience. Yeah. And it's because like your body sees that there's no green around. I don't don't think it's like fight or flight. It's it's like your body like realizes there's no green around and it feels like there's, it's not um, in a sustainable environment for life. So you have this like underlying stress that you don't even know you're, going through that's kind of crazy yeah it's really crazy like if what's crazy for me hearing that is not like hey it's really stressful to live in an urban environment because you don't have access to nature like i would be like okay yeah sure makes sense yeah but like the way you put it i can't remember did he say it just like that like your body's in an environment what what is it where he can't sustain yeah where it like sees that there's like no green so it sees that it can't sustain life so you're like under stress that you don't That's even crazy. realize you're under. But then like even s- people that live in urban environments, there's been studies like even showing them pictures of nature right. has significantly helped. Mm-hmm. Just like looking at images of like a forest or something in nature, which is crazy. It's wild, but it makes sense. Well, and I, you know, one of the takeaways that I had written down, but just like, you know, just it's more broadly, like we did not evolve to be indoors as much yeah. as we are. Yeah. Like that is just... A fact. I don't know what fact yeah. I need to point to to prove that, but it's just like common sense tells you, you know, mm-hmm. over human evolution, you know, what it's probably 99% of the time was spent predominantly outdoors. And now all of a sudden we spend it all indoors in front of a screen, artificial light. Yeah. All these crazy inputs constantly that like we weren't accustomed to deal with. It's like no wonder. I know. It's crazy. Do you feel a difference? When you notice that you've like, we've been inside all day, either it's For like sure. bad weather or just like the yeah. babies. Yeah. Well, I get when like you have like a tense. little baby, it's hard to yeah. go outside when it's cold. Mm-hmm. That is it's also hard, hard to go right outside now. when it's so hot. Yeah. With a baby, it's tough. But now that we have our youngest is one, it's like easier now. Yeah. And he can like walk around and. Yeah. I don't know. I thought it was really interesting. I thought mm-hmm. the uh, adventure racing was incredibly cool. I yeah, think, it seemed like two different podcasts, honestly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the adventure racing is really cool. Well, and I just got introduced to him purely about Nature Quant. The adventure racing, I just like, he just mentioned it to me before we were recording. And I was like, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? And then when he explained, I was like, this is, it also goes back to, um, and I, you know, maybe I made it a bigger deal. Maybe he just really enjoys it. and It's a lot of fun, but like. I really think like when you expose yourself to like really either physically or mentally trying things like that strength and resiliency carries over to other parts of your life. Yeah. Which is it something you would want to try? Really? Uh, on a much smaller scale. Oh, I could, I mean, like if someone came to me with a real opportunity and they were like, Hey man, we're going to do this two day thing. It's going to be two bi- days is your max. Well, I just mean like, I'm not, I don't, I want to, I'm not, 
I, I like I am in, in nowhere you're not like, proficient to, enough. Yeah. No, not not built for it. But like I'm not ready to go like scale a mountain or like go yeah. spelunking. That, that or, would be like, like, I just like don't the have scariest those part about it. Yeah, like but if someone's like, climbing. it's like hiking. I mean, I claim stake. Like, yeah, I literally was out in the wilderness the whole time that I was doing that by myself using nothing but like a topography map. I feel like you think I'm completely inept. <laughs> no, I don't. Like, I feel like you forget that that part <laughs> of my life that, existed. I think that you do well. I just worry about your allergies. <laughs> I was literally in the mountains by myself with a topography map. And we had GPS. The GPS obviously helped. Yeah. But Did I, you have service out there? Uh, it was satellite, so I wouldn't um, have like cell reception, but I would I would have like which uh, is so scary because I know you saw like rattler rattler slate rattlesnakes Rattle, yeah rattlesnakes? rattlesnakes in Wyoming I saw moose which if you've and ever, bear right uh yeah but not close up I saw a lot of like rams and things like that I would say yeah. a moose is dangerous uh, that's what I was gonna say if you've never and if you were, look <laughs> so if you big. wanted to tune this podcast out already this is probably a good spot because I'm just gonna talk about claim staking the rest of the time <laughs> um yeah so moose are I think what I know of them really aggressive and uh yeah they are super dangerous and they are massive yeah how like close it, were you to the moose I was on a four-wheeler you know I don't know I wasn't within 100 yards I wouldn't say maybe a little less than 100 yards but I was enough to where I saw it and I was like wow that's awesome and then I, was, I never realized was, how big they were wow I should probably create a little distance yeah yeah <laughs> i don't know i'm trying to remember how close i was i want to say i was a lot closer than that but i also don't want to exaggerate why not no one else could disprove yeah, maybe. it maybe 40, 40 feet <laughs> i would 1000 percent be like i was 10 feet away from 40 that feet i reckon uh, <laughs> we looked at each other dead in the eye yeah the scariest thing that i think happened and it wasn't an actual encounter with whatever animal it was i had like gotten over the top of this mountain i think this was when i was in uh, Nevada. I wish I could remember the mountain range. I think it was the blue mountains, just like, I don't know, an hour outside of Vegas. And I had gone over like the, the peak and I was going back down the other side of the mountain. And for whatever reason, I remember looking at the map, there was a couple ways I could go, but I saw that there was kind of this like ravine type structure that was clearly the fastest way to get to the next point where I had to like put in a stake. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll do an episode where I have my uncle on. We explain what claim staking are. Cause people are like, what, <laughs> what are we, I thought he worked in tech. Um, I had like, so I'd gotten myself into this ravine. It was pretty wide. And then like, as I got further, it like really narrowed and it, the walls were high enough where there was no way I could like get out of it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a problem until we went foot or on a four wheeler on foot. Okay. So we would use the four wheeler to get up as high as we could at the base of the mountain. And then like, there just comes a point where like you have to do it all by foot. Yeah. Like a mountain man. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> Walking through this ravine, I get halfway. There's no way I can get out. And I, there's like a cave. And I look in the cave because it was pretty open and there's just a huge pile of bones. Ew. I mean, and just like big bones. And I imagine it was probably Animal like bones. sheep, ram. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> but it just like dawned on me. I was like, oh my God. I was like, this is the cave of some sort of predator. And I just got myself in a situation where now I am like Bigfoot, basically trapped. Bigfoot's cave. <laughs> yeah. Bigfoot's cave. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I oh imagine, my God. I imagine it was some kind of cat. You know what I mean? Or bear. Uh, maybe. I don't know if there were bears where I was. was oh my, how have I never heard this story before? I've this told is you crazy. this story. You just don't listen to me. <sighs> You're too busy checking the kids in the middle of the night when I'm trying to talk to you. <laughs> I'm like, go um, to sleep. 
let's see what else happened. <gasps> oh, how about how about the fact that he had to spend the night up on a cliff? Yeah, that's by himself, and he storm. didn't even have the gear. So he was carrying gear. the pack. That's what I'm saying. When he told me like what actually goes into this adventure racing, yeah, it's like a lot of skill. Well, you got to know how to do everything. Well, and that's what I was amazed by too. Is it's like. Okay, most people, when they hear like rock climbing, their first thought, if they don't do it, is like, like wow, that's really dangerous and really high, highly skilled. Yeah, and that's just one of the things. And they're doing do. it exhausted uh, and a calorie deficit, no sleep. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Wait, what is spelunking? Oh, I don't know exactly. I meant to ask him, but what he was saying was so interesting. I didn't get to loop back to it. Yeah. I feel like it's, it's spelunking cave diving. Oh my God. I think you're right. Am I right? Uh, that's what I envisioned. Yeah. I meant to ask him. Yeah, you're right. It's it cave, diving, cave diving, which is also just in itself. So that, that <laughs> was my, crazy. that was my other thought. I was like, how is there not more media attention around this? Yeah. And but like what, how are they carrying gear to Spelunk? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. It's just like the ultimate, it sounds like survival sport. Pretty cool. Yeah. It's a good person to know. Yeah. And is a good person to know. Um, where was I going? With he that? would do well in a, an apocalypse situation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If stuff really got weird, he was probably he probably just packed up, grabbed his family, and was like, "Look, we're going to the mountains. We're going to wait this thing out." Yeah. We'll come back down. We would do well too, uh, but it would be a yeah, group effort. It'd be a group effort. It'd be. I. I would. I would get us through. <sighs> yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> you would do the manual labor for sure. Uh, can't connect the printer to the laptop, but you would save us in an apocalypse. Yeah, because <laughs> you don't need printers in an apocalypse. Uh, no, I think you do pretty well. You have you have some pretty good survival instincts. Um, and I think you would have no part tapping into like the primal rage required to like navigate an apocalyptic scenario. Like I feel like you would actually do really well in like a Walking Dead type scenario. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And I think most of your friends would not. And I apologize if you're listening and you're a friend. But if you know Sonia, you might be like, yeah, no, I get it. Not offended. I think she'd do well, too. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, let's, just, let's just hope, though, it doesn't require a pull-up. <laughs> oh, my God. No, I would really, really, really need to start working on my pull-ups. I know I was supposed to be working on them this whole time, but. That's okay. We'll come back to it. Um, let's yeah. see. Well, we should probably wrap this up. Yeah. Um, do you want me to tell one more claim sticking story? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Let's see. Um, because it got me thinking when I was doing the claim staking, the other dicey situation I had gotten into was my uncle and I, we both had four wheelers. No, he had the truck. So he went off to one mountain range. So there was like a big valley and we had to cover like these two like peaks on the either side of the valley. And we knew we weren't going to have any cell service, but like, look, we're like, just get back before it gets dark and we'll like reconvene at the truck at like this place. And so he went one way, I went, I went the other, and I had gotten onto the other side of the mountaintop and it was really, it was steep, but it was also like, um, a lot of like loose rock, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like the whole mountain oh was God. just like loose rock and like loose shale. And so I was like, oh, this is fine. So I'm just kind of- also reminds me of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And so I'm just kind of going down it like sideways. You know what I mean? Like sideways, just working my way down yeah, it. But, yeah, but yeah. I got a little cocky. You know, and I started like moving. Oh no. A little zigzagging. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I just remember I, I stepped on this one big piece of like shale. This was in Nevada too. And it just gives out. And I remember there was literally, because I always, I don't know, 
in my head, a lot of people can probably relate to this. I always feel like when something like this happens, like, oh, I would have been able to like stop myself or I would have been able mm-hmm. to grab. No, it gave out. I started just flipping like ass over tea kettle. I ended up, I didn't, I don't think I got knocked out, but I, de- well, I don't know. Maybe I got knocked oh my out, God. but I ended up probably a good, like 50 yards down from where I started. Oh. And I knew that because I had just left a trail of like walkie talkie hat <laughs> backpack. Like, oh my God. <laughs> I know. And I just remember like doing that weird, like check, of like looking at all my extremities, <laughs> looking around. First thought was like, did anybody Wait, see did, that? Did you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, just the cougar that's been no one within fifty since miles. I know he's just went been, into its cave. Yeah, I was probably stalked. Um, but I just remember like popping up and like looking up and like going back up to grab all my stuff. And I was just like, if I had gotten messed up, like, oh my god, what if you broke a leg? Broke a leg. I mean, the thing is, he knew generally where I was, so I'm sure someone would have came and got me eventually. But like, I was like, "That's a die out here." Oh my god! Being an idiot. Wow. Wait, did you get knocked out? Were you like passed out and then you came to? I no. I, that's what I'm saying. I don't think I was like unconscious, like you see in the movies for like three yeah. hours. And then you, came <laughs> you came to, and you're like, ah. Came to with like a billy goat licking my face. <laughs> that is what I was thinking. God. You know, we didn't start off on a good foot, but we've we've somehow come back in sync. I don't know if you yeah. like me. It's yet. like we're fighting. It's we're like we're fighting with each other, but we are so in sync that we like have to just stop fighting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> People are probably like, "Why do I listen to this? I can't. I listen to this to get away from my problems, not take on yours." <laughs> um, but yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, that's scary. Anyways, I don't know. Maybe I'll come up with some more good claim stakings. I haven't thought about that in a long time. But anyways, how cool. He was great. We will make sure to, uh, as soon as that app becomes available, let people know. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to do it. Yeah. Right? If it, if it was like a two-day thing, too. I, I agree with the two-day thing. Oh, 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 do like a short adventure? Yeah. 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 I mean. Oh, sorry. You're talking about the app. I was talking yes. about the app. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sorry, my brain was still adventures. on like. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the app would be really cool. <laughs> You're still on me surviving? Yeah, I was thinking about you <laughs> getting knocked out on a hill and a billy goat waking you up. Yeah, well, there's worse places to wake up, I'm sure, especially <laughs> in Nevada. All right, that's a good place to end it, I think. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> thank you for listening, everybody. We hope you had a good one. Uh, man, that was that was a really good show. And we've got a couple really good ones coming up. I hope everyone, despite the crazy circumstances, was able to salvage 2020 and have a good year. Uh, very much looking forward to 2021, like a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, in fact, that will be the next time we talk to you. So until then, have a good one, folks. Yep. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.